0: Hello, and welcome back to Grateful Gwenna. We're so glad you've joined us. I hope you're safe, and if you're not, please get to a safe place immediately and or call the National Center for Domestic Violence hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. Um, I believe God is leading me for this podcast episode to post and describe. About and describe my experience that fateful night when the abuse had been escalating and it all culminated in um, one horrific night. Uh, before I begin sharing with you what I can recall of that night, because it has been a lot of years since this occurrence happened. Um, but before I share that, I would like to give a little disclaimer that I don't do this to draw attention to myself. I am not attention-seeking or all of the ignorant things that I have been accused of by um, a couple of people who just don't truly don't understand the dynamics and nuances of abuse. I would rather not share to be honest with you. Um, But I'm doing my best and trying to walk in obedience to God and what he tells me to do. Because I also know he has confirmed that this is what I'm supposed to be doing because I've had multiple people contact me privately and tell me how much some of these podcasts have helped them. And so glory to God for that. I'm so grateful. But I just want you to know While I don't mind sharing as long as it can benefit or help someone, it is not a fun experience for me. Second thing I'd like to say before I begin um, describing that fateful night to you. And by the way, I'm going to warn you right now, do not let your children be near this episode, this podcast episode, because this is not going to be a podcast episode for children. It's going to be probably a little too graphic for children to listen to. So um, if you are listening to this podcast and you are under 18, I would like to ask you right now to go ask your parents for permission to listen to this podcast and ask them, please ask them to listen to it first, okay? Um, I want to honor and respect that because they are your parents and um, I want to, I love you enough to want to protect you from anything that they might not want you to hear, so Thank you for doing that, because this is a public podcast. Um, I don't enjoy sharing these things um, for many years, as any of you has been listening to my podcast channel Um, for some time now will know um, I covered up my ex-husband's abuse for a long time, and I was actually in denial for a long time as well. Um, There was one thing... One more thing I wanted to say, I'm trying to remember what it was. Ah, yes, now I remember. The other thing I wanted to share with you and say with you before I begin sharing the testimony, my testimony about what I'm going to call probably that dreadful night is that a lot of healing has happened for me, thankfully. God has um, worked in me and done a lot of healing, um, which is why I'm able to share Um, it's taken a long time in coming, um, and I might have, my voice might get a little deep or I might shed a tear or two, um, but I am finally to the point where I can share, I think, and it not really affect me as much, nearly as much as it used to. So I want to share what happened that dreadful night um, of what I remember, because because, like I said, it's been nearly 12 years since my divorce and even longer since that dreadful night. Um, this is not my fault, but also part of what led up to this dreadful night, that dreadful night, was the fact that the abuse was allowed to continue. It, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to put a stop to it. But I didn't put a stop to it. I'm not saying it's my fault at all. Um, And so the abuse in my marriage just kept escalating. Um, It started the very first time with my ex-husband shoving me down on the bed. I was fully clothed. But shoving me down on the bed, I counted literally 10 times in a row because he didn't want me to talk, Um, talk about manipulation and control. And that was the very, that was the day after we got married, clear back in 1993, December 28th, 1993. I can tell you the exact date of some of the incidents, not all of them. Um, And um, the abuse just slowly continued to escalate over the years. And I didn't, I hadn't realized it, obviously, at the time during those abusive marriage years, but... Um, we were a textbook abuse case, a textbook domestic violence case, because we followed, you know, the the cycle of abuse and there would be an incident or an episode, an occurrence of abuse. And then there would be um, an apology from him to me, of course, for what he had done wrong and how he'd abused me usually with red roses so i grew to hate red roses with a passion used to be my favorite flower i actually am healed enough now that i actually like red roses again but it took several years um and then it would be followed by what what's called a honeymoon period where everything would be fine and then it would happen again and it just kept we just kept going around and around and around like on a hamster wheel that circle that cycle of abuse um so The abuse slowly escalated. It started from him shoving me down on the bed 10 times in a row, like I said earlier. Um, And it just kept escalating. And I'm jumping around here um, to slapping me in the face, on the cheek, on my face, to shoving me halfway down the stairs, to shoving me so I fell on top of my um, son's toddler bed when he was lying in it. Thankfully, he didn't get hurt because of my quick thinking. I'll just be blunt. Um, I got hurt, though. (laughs) Um, Throwing phones, cordless phones at me, um, pulling me around the kitchen by my ponytail, and ultimately strangling me. Obviously, there were a lot more incidences of abuse, but those were just some highlights of the real, of the abusive side of my marriage. Um... And so that dreadful night, um, my ex husband worked second shift uh, pretty much the entire time we were married, which was a total of nearly almost 17 years. And so I homeschooled our children for 10 years, which I loved homeschooling them. Um, I was pretty independent and autonomous in that, and I really loved it. Um, But it his working second shift mostly made me primarily responsible for the children. And so um, I had joined a Bible study group for women called Bible Study Fellowship. Wonderful study back then. It It helped me learn a lot about the Bible and about God, even more than I already knew, a lot more than I already knew. And they had a program for children as well in the one I attended and so my children our children were enrolled in that our two sons and so the boys and I used to go to that Bible study fellowship on like once a week I think it was on a Wednesday night but we would go once a week on a weekday evening and my ex-husband had gotten a new job and he is Um, Latinx, I guess is the new term now for it. Um, But he um, was born and raised in Mexico. And so English is not his native language. And so when he got his new job, um, he had asked me to give him some time because he was going to have to learn the job, not just learn the job like anybody would, but on top of it, he had to learn the job in English, which was not his native language. And so I understood that that was going to be a challenge and I was very supportive and understanding with that. So he really didn't talk much or to our children during those first three months at his new job. Um, And he really didn't spend any time with them. He might say hi to them occasionally and that was pretty much it. So I was basically living a single mom life, but with, with, everything that materialistically you have when you're married. Like I had, you know, his income that helped us. I had the house we lived in, our vehicles, everything like that. But I was raising the boys on my own, most of my marriage pretty much really because he worked so much overtime. But anyway, um, the dreadful night, that dreadful night is what I'm going to title this episode. And he had started this new job and so I had given him three months and one of our children was starting to complain that he missed his daddy. Well, of course, because he doesn't see his daddy at all, ever. So I tried to discuss it calmly with my ex-husband and of course that didn't work out well. <laughs> um, And, you know, after three months, I I asked him if we could talk about it and told him his children missed him and that could he please spend some time with his children. And he said, just give me a little more time. So I did. I gave him another two months. So now he's had five months to learn his new job, not really paying attention at all to me or the children, which I'm an adult. It hurt my feelings, but it's whatever. But you don't do that to your, you know, like, Toddler children, right? Or little children. You just don't do that. Five months of not spending any time with his children. And I mean, literally zero time. And so after five months, I prayed and I felt like God said to me, you know, released me and said, go ahead and ask him again. So I asked him again, very calmly, very nicely at that moment, at that time. And he kind of blew me off. And so I prayed again and God told me it was a BSF night, a Bible study fellowship class night, the study I told, mentioned and told you about earlier. So I felt like God was saying to me when I prayed, go take the kids, go to BSF and bring it up again. Broach the subject when you return, broach the subject when you return. That was the message to me from God. So so I was like, okay. So I took the kids to Bible study fellowship. We came back, I put them to bed and I once again broached the subject calmly, very calmly with him. And um, it was, I don't know, maybe nine o'clock-ish. And I don't remember details anymore because like I said, it's been many years. This happened in, uh, in the end of November, right before Thanksgiving, in the end of November of 2003. And so it's been a long time. So I don't remember all the details anymore. But um, he was not at all happy that I brought it up. And so I tried to, like, reason with him or rationalize with him, you know, saying something like, you know, the kids really miss you. They're asking about you. They want to see you. And he got angry. And I am mama bear. And I want the best for my children. And at the time, in hindsight, it definitely wasn't the best. But at the time, I thought what was best for my children was for their father to spend actually spend some time with them. You know, and I'm with them all the time. And I love them. And I love spending time with them. I actually really miss that a lot. It goes so fast. It goes so quickly. Everybody tells you it does. And you believe them. But you just don't realize how quickly it goes. It's just, it zooms by. And it's like one day you wake up and they're gone. It's just incredibly quickly. Like at the time, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do anything else because I have kids and I have to take care of my kids. But once they're gone, that's what you really, really miss. At least I do anyway. So anyway, he was not happy, right? He was just not happy with me. And so I decided as mama bear to kind of fight for my children and their right to spend time with their, their father. And so I tried to reason with him. I tried to rationalize with him. And of course... It turned into an argument. So I let it go for a little bit, prayed again, thinking and hoping and praying that he would come to his senses, my ex-husband, that my ex-husband would come to his senses and at least spend five minutes with his children would be better than nothing, which is what, what they were getting for five months prior to that. And the next thing I know, from what I recall, he goes to bed. My ex-husband goes to bed. So, um, we had had this conversation downstairs in the dining room, I believe. And the bedroom was upstairs across from the boys' bedroom. And there was a hallway between the boys' bedroom and our bedroom upstairs. And in the boys' bedroom, they had bunk beds at the time. And, um, One son was on the top bunk and the other son was on the bottom bunk. And so unbeknownst to me at the time, it was much easier to see the hallway from the top bunk than from the bottom bunk. So anyway, he goes to bed. And I'll be honest, I got angry because I felt badly for the children and it hurt me that they were hurting And it's been five months. That's a long time. That's enough time to learn a new job, even with a second language. No more excuses, right? So I went upstairs and I stood in the doorway of our bedroom, the doorway between the bedroom and the hallway. And I was literally begging my ex-husband, who was trying to sleep in bed and completely ignoring me, trying to completely ignore me. I was literally begging him to please spend time with his children. I wasn't yelling, I wasn't being mean, but I wasn't happy. But I was literally begging him to spend time with his children and at least talk to me about it, at least give me some time frame so that I could tell the kids. And suddenly, my ex-husband gets out of bed and he starts walking toward me. And I don't know why, because my experience and history with him, with my ex-husband before that, should have forewarned me that he's abusive, don't trust him, but he was my husband. And I was taught in the church that you're supposed to honor your husband, submit to your husband, obey your husband. So I And naively, I assumed he had good intentions as he was walking toward me. So I was happy for a split second. I was honestly happy because I honestly thought he was coming to talk to me about it. I thought he was getting up to resolve it and say, I don't know why. In hindsight, never once had he done anything like that. So I don't know why I naively assumed that probably because that's what I would have done if I had been him. But I have to remember, not everybody is like me, right? But at the time, I honestly thought as he was walking toward me, as he got up out of bed and started walking toward me, he didn't look upset or angry at all. And I honestly thought he was coming to resolve it and to tell me he was sorry or apologize or at least tell me, okay, you know, I'll let you know tomorrow when I can spend time with the kids, with the boys, right? So... As he was almost to me, his eyes changed. And this is terrifying. I saw a look in his eyes that I have never seen in anyone else before then. And I've never seen in anyone else since then. And I am absolutely positive it was demonic. And I do not say that lightly. I don't even like to use that word because... I don't like to even give the appearance of inviting their presence into my home, into my life, into my words, or even into my thoughts, if I can at all help it. I'm, I'm very squirmish about that. Um, but it is the honest truth. I've never seen a look in someone's eyes like that. Absolutely terrifying. And he grabbed me and shook me and started yelling and screaming and cussing at me and I don't remember his words anymore but he was definitely not happy and he was very out of control physically and emotionally and mentally and um, he let me go for a split second and I don't know if I've watched too many crime shows on TV or what but My mind, I guess I've been attacked one too many times, but my mind automatically goes to logic. Okay, what can I do in this situation? What do I need to do? So for for a split second, I believe the Holy Spirit told me, lock the boys in their room. So in that split second, I turned around is maybe not even five seconds. I turned around and I locked the boys in their bedroom. But right before I could get to the door, he shoved me up against the hallway wall. And then I locked the boys in their bedroom. And five years later, one of my children finally confessed to me that he had seen his father shove me up against the hallway wall. And I didn't realize he'd seen it. But I did hear him as I was closing the door. I heard that child, that son of ours say, Mommy, bring me the phone and I'll dial 911. Unfortunately, there was no phone in our son's bedroom. But I did thankfully, thank God, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and I had a split second, five seconds or so, um, wherewithal to lock those boys in their bedroom so that they would be protected. I started to turn around, but I didn't make it all the way. And the next thing I knew, my ex-husband was behind me with his body pressed very hard up against the back of my body. And both of his arms came around the front of me so quickly that I could not react in time. And one of his arms was, um, he put it like around my neck like he was going to strangle me and one his one of his hands was over my mouth and my nose not just my mouth and it wasn't just lightly laying there i mean he was pressing pretty hard on my mouth and my nose with his hand and i could not breathe i could not breathe at all and i remember praying and saying, God, I'm sorry. I know I begged you to take my life because I can't handle the constant abuse. But I didn't mean this way. Please not this way. And all this happened like so fast, like in a matter of split seconds, really just a few seconds. But I remember praying, God, I'm so sorry. I, I, I know I asked you to take my life because I'm, I can't handle the abuse anymore. I can't take it anymore. But I didn't mean this way. Please not this way. And, um, my husband was still raging and ranting and screaming and cussing. And just, he was in a rage. He, he was having a fit of rage. He was completely out of control. Um, I honestly believe in that moment he was demon possessed and I was just terrified because I didn't know how to stop him. And when I was 11, I took judo. And they taught us, and I know how to defend myself when someone comes from behind me like that. But the hold he had on me wasn't with one arm, it was with both arms, and it was so tight, I couldn't get my chin where I needed it to be. So I could I could not get a release from his grasp. Um, I was, um, in the moment, like panicked, like you don't know how you were gonna react until a situation happens to you, (coughs) excuse me, and I was panicked, and so afterwards, I thought, now, why didn't I try to bite him, or something, and maybe I did, if I did, I don't remember, (coughs) excuse me, but um, he had me like this for, I don't know how long, it seemed like an eternity, and all of a sudden, my knees started feeling weak, and I felt like I was going to pass out, and I thought, and I remember praying and telling God, okay, God, you know what? Not my will, but yours be done. If this is the way you want me to go, take my life. I remember thinking and praying that to God in, that, in those few seconds, in those moments. I mean, it all went so fast and your, your mind is racing and you like think these thoughts so fast and you're praying so quickly, or at least I was anyway. And suddenly God put a picture of my sons in my mind. And he said, they need you. And I argued with God (laughs) while I couldn't breathe, while I was being strangled and suffocated simultaneously. And I said, no, they don't need me. And God said to me, I mean, I had a full-on conversation in my mind with God. And God, like, it was like a few seconds conversation, but it was intense. It was deep and it was emotional. And God said, No, you're their mother. And I said, anybody can mother them. And he said, no, they need you. He said, you're the mom they need. I gave those boys to you because you're the mom they need. And so that's when I willed to fight for my life again, even though I couldn't get out of my ex-husband's grip because he had too strong of a hold on me and he was still in his fit of rage. And so I prayed again and I begged God to save me. I forgot to right before like a millisecond, I realized at the last second that my husband was actually angry and not apologetic. I had yelled out, Jesus save me. Boy, did that make my ex-husband even angrier, which I'm assuming wasn't him at the time, if you know what I mean. But anyway, um, so so we're at the point, and I have now surrendered to God's will on my life. You know, I don't know if I'm gonna live or die. I have told God That I didn't want to die this way. I've told God that, okay, God, you know, this isn't the way I wanted to die. But if this is the way you want me to go, let your will be done. I've told God all these things. And God has convinced me and all this in a matter of just a few seconds. God has convinced me that my sons need me. My children need me. I'm the mother they need. And nobody can replace me because he made me their mother. And um, that was the comfort I needed from God and and the reassurance I needed from him, I guess. God knows everything. God knows us better, way better than we know ourselves. And so I had again, you know, surrendered to God's will and begged him to help me. And, just, and then just magically, my ex-husband released his grip and walked away from me. And I think he went back to bed, but he walked away from me. And I was terrified. I was crying. I was shaking. I could barely breathe. I was hyperventilating because I hadn't been able to breathe. Um, I was probably having a panic attack. To be honest, that's probably when they started. I do have panic attacks occasionally. Um, And I went downstairs as fast as I could. And I got the cordless phone because that's where it was, downstairs. And I dialed 911. And... We had a history of me calling the police for his quote-unquote minor incidents of physically abusing me over the past 10 years. So I honestly don't think the police took me super seriously when I called them and they hung up on me after I gave them my address and information, which you're not supposed to do, I don't think. And right before they hung up on me, Here comes my ex-husband again downstairs and starts heading toward me in the kitchen. And I see the look on his face and it is once again, he's in a fit of rage. He has this angry, demonic, hellish look in his eyes. His jaw is clenched, everything. The body language, his eyes, everything is absolutely horrifying and terrifying. And I'm absolutely terrified. And so... I pretend, and and the stupid dispatcher hung up on me. (laughs) She got my information and hung up and said, okay, the police will be there in about 10 minutes or something like that. And she hangs up on me. I could tell he was angry. He starts advancing toward me, starts coming toward me, my ex-husband, and he tells me again. Amazing how much detail I remember, right? But there are certain things I don't remember. He starts advancing toward me again, and starts screaming and cussing at me again, and starts threatening me saying, you wanna call 911? Nine You want to call 911? And at this point I realize he thinks I just picked up the phone and I haven't called yet. So I pretend that I'm already talking to them, which I was, and I pretend that I'm still talking to them, which I was not because they had hung up on me. And I was terrified that if I let him realize or know that, I, that they had hung up, I would be dead. I would literally be dead. I am convinced to this day that I would have been dead if if he had known that they had hung up on me and that they weren't listening and witnessing what was going on in the background. And even knowing or thinking, even thinking that the police dispatcher was on the cordless phone with me and having a conversation with me and hearing him screaming and cussing in the background, he still continued to rage at me. And not only that, but i had my hair in a ponytail that night and he i had long hair and he grabbed me by my ponytail and started pulling me around the kitchen yelling and screaming and cussing at me because about me being on the phone with 911 and threatening me that i better not call 911 while i'm talking while i'm pretending that i'm already talking to them and then once again he just suddenly releases me and goes back to bed it took the police half an hour to get there I could have been dead. And I have been accused by him and others of making this story up. Why would I make up a story like this? Who wants to go through something like that? Are you crazy? Of course I'm not making it up. This is the truth. Why would I make it up? So, and one thing I learned, I learned a lot from this whole experience. But one of the main things I learned, one of the major things I learned is when a woman tells me she's being abused by her husband, I believe her no matter what, because I had so many people not believe me. And I was telling the truth. I got accused of exaggerating the abuse. I never exaggerated the abuse. I minimized the abuse. First I hit it, and then I minimized it. I didn't say how bad it really was for many, many, many years, not only to protect my ex-husband, because I thought I was supposed to submit to him and quote-unquote honor him, because that's what the Bible says, right? No, (laughs) but I thought so. I had some bad teaching. We both did. Um, And I was embarrassed, and I didn't want to put my boys through something, which they ended up having to be put through something anyway, which it's hard not to blame myself, even though I know it's not all my fault. So anyway, the police finally show up half an hour after I called them. And of course, he's all cool, calm, and collected now because he's in front of other people. It's his public image. And so we have we're we in we were we lived in this little cul-de-sac in this nice little subdivision in my hometown. And so we have cop cars in our driveway, our church pastor eventually comes. I mean, it was a hot mess. And I remember the church senior pastor. I loved him, by the way. He was a great pastor. It wasn't his fault. I never told him what was going on behind closed doors. Although I did try to tell some of the elders and they didn't believe me, which I found out later why was because my ex-husband had been telling everyone that I was exaggerating the abuse and apparently they believed him, which at the time I accepted. But later years, why would exaggerating abuse be okay? Shouldn't there be no abuse at all? Anyway, um, it wasn't true, obviously. Like, why would I exaggerate? I have no reason to exaggerate. I'm embarrassed about it as it is. I'm an intelligent woman and I'm not allowing but my my husband is abusing me, the woman he's supposed to love. That's embarrassing. Why would I why would I exaggerate? I don't want anyone to know, you know? So anyway, the cops there's like probably I think two cop cars, the pastor's car, all in the driveway and of course, you know, there are two policemen who show up. And um, my ex-husband had threatened me multiple times that if I ever told the police the truth about how he abused me, if I ever reported him to the police, that he would take our children and disappear to Mexico where he was from and I would never find him again. So um, that's another nuance of a lot of uh, abusive marriages and domestic violence cases is that the abuser, the perpetrator is often... Um, extremely controlling and has something They're They're oftentimes holding something over the victim's head. And in my case, it was that which I found out later um, from my divorce attorney. Once I finally filed for divorce after 17 years and three separations and mm, 10 plus years of physical, emotional, mental, spiritual <coughs> and other abuse, um, I finally found out that 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 he couldn't have gotten away with that because the lawyer told me there was a there's a treaty between um, Mexico and the United States and that if he had even tried that, they would have basically hunted him down and found him and brought my children back to me. But I mean, it still would have been terrifying for the boys and me and they would have had to find him. And so anyway, so so the two male police officers and in 10 years, I always had male police officers. And I love police officers. Um, I've worked with police officers. I grew up with police officers. They're my friends. I love them to death. I'm grateful for their service. I love what they do. But these two particular t- police officers, I'll be honest, I wasn't super impressed with them. Not at the moment because I was all focused on my own situation. But in hindsight, I don't think they did a really good job. But thank God they were there because I wasn't alone anymore. Um, and for Finally, a female police officer shows up before the female police. And that's the first female police officer in 10 years of calling off and on, um, of calling the police for domestic violence situations of my ex-husband abusing me in our home. And obviously this was the worst one. I mean, he strangled me. And, um, but before the female police officer arrived, the two male police officers asked me if I wanted to press charges. And they were like, is he going to jail? And they're looking at me with anger in their eyes. One of them was. And uh, keep in mind, please, that my ex-husband had threatened me that if I told the truth to the police, that I would never see my children again. Of course, I'm a mother. I don't want that. I want to protect my children, not just for selfish reasons, but why would I want my children to be by themselves with someone who abused me? That's unsafe for my children. That's where my thought pattern was. That's where my thoughts lied. And so um, I can't remember what did the police officer ask me? The male police officer asked me Something like, is he going to jail? And I said, no, I asked him. That's what it was. I asked him, is he going to jail? I didn't say I want to press charges or anything like that. And that's when the female police officer had finally arrived. And the male police officer said, no, he's not going to jail. And the female police officer, thank God she was there. She stepped up and she said, oh, yes, he is. She has strangle marks on her neck. And I was in shock. And although I knew he had strangled and suffocated me, like, I don't know if you've been through an abusive situation or not or know someone who has, but they brainwash you so much that you often deny your reality. And I was in so much shock of everything that had gone on that night. And I didn't realize it until later. I was in so much shock that when she said, oh, yes, he is going to jail. She's got strangle marks on her neck. I looked at her and I said, I do just like that. I remember that. And she said, Yes, honey. She goes, come with me. And the female police officer took me to the bathroom and showed me the strangle marks on the on the net on my neck in the mirror. And it was like, it was like inside my body, I knew she I knew it was true. I knew she was right. I could see the strangle marks on my neck. But like outside my body, I didn't want to believe it. Like, I was almost in denial. Like, why would someone, my husband, my own husband, who's supposed to love me, why would he strangle me? That doesn't make sense, you know, as if he were a loving man. I mean, he could be sweet at times, but he had abused me a lot over the years. And I wasn't perfect either, but I never did anything like that to him. Not once did I ever physically injure him but he did me numerous on numerous occasions. And so she, the female police officer, she showed me, you know, so um, they took him to jail for the night and the state of Indiana um, enforced a no contact order, which I was very grateful because that meant I didn't have to be the one pressing charges. So he couldn't, you know, claim it was me or come after me or, um, you know, he couldn't say that, you know, He couldn't tell me that he couldn't say, you know, well, you reported me to the police. So because technically I didn't technically, I just called them because I was unsafe, which is ridiculous that I should even be thinking about that differentiation. So um, so they took him to jail. And then I remember one of my children was terrified that they might be taken to foster a foster home. Because I had slipped up once and expressed my fear of that happening. I was scared that the police might take the kids away from me. Because I've heard, I had heard that other women had lost their children, custody of their children. Because their children witnessed their husbands abusing their mothers. And so I had been terrified that, about that. And I had shared with a friend. And apparently this child had overheard me. And so this poor child, I felt so bad. He thought they were going to foster care. And so I talked to the female police officer after they had, you know, taken my ex-husband away. And I explained to her that my son was terrified that they're going to foster care. And I said, are they going to foster care? And she goes, no, because you protected him. And I said, would it be possible? Would there be any way you could talk to my son about it? She goes, sure. So she went and she talked to my son and said, honey, you're not going to foster care because your mommy protected you. Those were her exact words. You're not going to, you and your brother are not going to foster care because your mommy protected you. And she said, she closed the door and locked you in and she protected you. So you boys get to stay with your mommy. And that part's emotional for me. I think, you know, as mothers, like my heart just breaks thinking that, you know, my one child in toward the beginning of the whole incident was like, mommy, give me the phone, I'll dial 911. Well, I couldn't get to the phone, I was being attacked. You know, and bless his heart for a kid to know that, to have the wherewithal to say, mommy, get me the phone, I'll dial 911, and then the other kid at the end to be terrified they're going to foster care. And I'm so grateful for that female police officer who comforted him and told him, you know, she was so kind and so nice. Unfortunately, she forgot her camera that night. So although there's written evidence in the police report and it's public knowledge and it costs like a dollar fifty or something to get it from the police station. Um, so there's written physical evidence. There is no photographical evidence. Because she forgot her camera that night. And this was before the age of cell phones we had. This was the beginning of cordless phones toward the beginning of it. At least I'm pretty sure it was It was before I had a cell phone, put it that way. So I couldn't exactly take a picture. And I didn't have a camera and I was in shock. So my brain wasn't, in, I wasn't in the right mind to think, even think of that, let alone do it anyway. So my ex-husband to this day denies that he ever did any of this. Because he doesn't remember it. I I think he doesn't remember it. I honestly think he doesn't remember it. I honestly think that he was possessed. I don't think it was him. I mean, it was his body, you know, and, and his mind. But I think that, I think he was taken over or something. Because, especially the look in his eyes. I'm not excusing his behavior at all. Because obviously he chose to do everything he did. Um... But to this day, he's in denial and claims the police lied, which is obviously not true. Like, what motive would they have for lying? It's not like they're going to get paid off for it or anything. It's not like I have money, you know. Not even would I even think to do that. Or I don't know why I said that. But I'm just like, what, why would you think that? You know, that's why I said that. Why would you even think that? But um, so the police take him off. the The female officer... You know, she stays with my my son and talks to him and reassures him they're not going to foster care. The state issues a no-contact order, which means my ex-husband is not allowed to call or call me. He's not allowed to talk to me. He's not allowed to come. I think it was within 500 feet of me, anything like that. And, of course, I've got custody of the kids because he just got taken off to jail for the night. So he's got a no-contact order, so he's not supposed to call me, right? So the next morning... Um, a different pastor from our old church that happened to be that county's jail chaplain, one of the three of them, who happened to be one of my ex-husband's buddies, called me and asked me, are you going to press charges? I got to be honest, I didn't even know what that meant at the time. I'd never been through anything like this. Like, I'm not familiar with jail or anything like that. So, um, or how it works or pressing charges or any of that. I've never gone through any of this before. So I I felt extremely intimidated because number one, I know he's a jail chaplain. Number two, I'm assuming since my ex-husband got put in jail the night before that he has now talked to my ex-husband. And so I asked him, did he ask you to call me? And he confessed and said, yes. And, um, and I was very intimidated. So I remember I prayed and asked God and asked the Holy Spirit, what do I say to him? And so suddenly it was like a light bulb. And I said, do you care more about whether I press charges or not on him? Or do you care about the safety of me and the children? And immediately he started apologizing. The pastor, Jill Chaplin started apologizing to me and he hung up. And then not much longer, go figure, my ex-husband breaks the no-contact order and calls me. I said, I didn't know it was him until I picked up. I said, I assumed it was the jail chaplain again or something. And I said, why are you calling me? Don't you, you have a no-contact order? And he goes, yeah, but I just wanted to ask you, like, he just doesn't obey the law, period. And I learned this over the years. Like, he didn't obey the law about car insurance, until I had to suffer for it. That's a whole another story. But he just doesn't do what he's supposed to do. I mean, I don't know if it's from, he's from Mexico or what. but <clears throat> So he calls me, yes, but he goes, are you going to press charges? And I don't remember the rest of the conversation, honestly. I just remember being very upset, annoyed, and irritated. And emotionally just completely drained and a wreck. I was an emotional wreck about the whole thing, obviously, and that he would call me when he has a no-contact order. Those no-contact orders are for a reason, but something I've learned in my years since all this happened in all the research I had done over the years is that most abusers don't pay any attention to no-contact orders. They're really, from what I've observed and read about and experienced, they're really just there for kind of evidence so that if something something really bad happens, like a victim actually dies, which I almost did. That's why I'm like, uh. so if something really bad actually happens. They've got this there. They've got, you know, I think that's what I personally think. They've got a trail. They've got a trail. Okay. Um She had a no contact order on this date. And then but i even met a lady in an uh, in an abuse victim support group once that was mandated for me to go to by victim's assistance through the state of indiana there was a lady there that her abusive ex-husband she got all the doors and window locks changed he broke in and was standing over her bed with a loaded gun and had a no contact order those those no contact orders they don't they don't do anything <laughs> They just leave a paper trail that, okay, there's there's abuse in this home. That's my opinion. But it's a strong one because I've not seen it protect anyone. And they're really hard to get too. Like you actually have to have bruises on your body to get a protection order, at least from what I – because I've tried before, when, you know, later when – but you couldn't get one even if you were just scared. If it had been, you know – if it wasn't a recent incident and you didn't have any recent bruises on your body, no contact order for you. Didn't matter how many incidents or episodes of abuse had happened before. Didn't matter if you had a precedent or a record of your partner or your ex abusing you. Didn't matter. You needed to have bruises physically on your body. Evidence. Recent evidence. <sighs> so anyway, um, he broke that. Um, So that is that dreadful night. And um, we ended up being separated for five months. And then I was so messed up in the head that I actually went back to him, which some people looked at, I think, as well, if she had been telling the truth, she wouldn't have gone back. Those people obviously don't understand abuse. Was it stupid? Yes. Do I regret it? Yes. Would I go back to him if I had it to do over again? Hell no. Excuse my French. But no. Why? But I was messed up in the head. You don't understand. I had been brainwashed by him and the church for over a decade that I was supposed to be the quiet, meek, submissive little wifey. Okay? But that's not at all what the Bible says. And God revealed that to me too. So... a lot more happened after that, but that was that dreadful night. And I eventually changed the locks and packed him an overnight bag and then he was gone. But that was three years later. But that was that. There's a lot more to my testimony, obviously. But this is the testimony of that dreadful night. And that is the first time I've been able to share that entire story without... I mean, it's been years since I've tried... But um, I guess I must have some, some healing, praise God, because I'm okay. I'm not upset right now. Um, I am thankful that God helped me get through it and share with you so that hopefully it will help one of you. I actually sincerely hope that none of you is going through anything similar. But if you are, know that you're not alone. And unfortunately, in recent years, especially with social media becoming so popular, I've seen that domestic violence is now becoming more and more spoken about. It needs to be spoken about. It's kind of the taboo topic, but it shouldn't be, especially in the church. Um, That is where we need the most support. And unfortunately, that is where we most lack support. And where we're most sometimes spiritually abused and told that if we were a better wife, then our husbands wouldn't abuse us. That's not the case at all. Nobody's perfect, but just because you say a bad word or get angry or yell or do or say something or make a face your husband doesn't like doesn't mean you deserve to be abused physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, sexually, anything. You do not deserve to be abused. Nobody does. Nobody wants to be abused. I don't know that I saw a post this morning on Facebook where some person was claiming that someone desired to be abused. That's not a thing. Nobody desires to be abused, okay? Unless you're like some sadistic, you know, like as an I don't know, but nobody desires to be abused, all right? We we want to be delivered from that bondage. That's slavery, that's oppression, that's bondage. That's our own personal Egypt. And my doctors later when I finally confessed what was going on, told me that my home was a war zone and my doctors and counselors all tell me I'm safe for my students and everything because I'm a teacher um, because I, that was my first question, are my students safe? But, And I don't like sharing this publicly, but um, I have so many physical and I don't know if you'd call it mental or emotional issues since going through all the abuse in my life. But they all tell me that I handle it well. All my doctors, all my counselors, they all tell me that I manage my issues well. Um, And you can't really tell too much, but I have major issues physically and mentally. A lot of them from my abusive marriage. Um, I have 27 total mental and physical, mostly physical issues. And almost all of them are a result of the abuse in my marriage. (laughs) Definitely the high blood pressure. I used to have extreme low blood pressure. My blood pressure was so low, and it's also genetic. My mother has it as well. But my blood pressure used to be so low that they literally thought I was going to die after I gave birth to my first child because my fingernails turned purple underneath them. And the doctor doctor who delivered my baby, my first baby, Afterwards, when I lived through it, he, told, he confessed to me. He told me, next time you have a baby, make sure you tell the doctor when you go into delivery that you're not going to die because your fingernails turn purple and you look like you're going to die. That was terrifying. So my blood pressure, not as terrifying as being abused though, nowhere near, but my blood pressure used to be so low that I almost died giving childbirth and now it's super high. And a main reason for that is because of the abuse in my life and especially my marriage. Um, I also have, I think, mild PTSD. Actually, it's probably CPTSD because it went on for so many years. And I have anxiety. And I occasionally um, struggle with panic attacks. A few years ago, I had the first one not realizing what it was. And I got rushed to the emergency room at midnight and sent straight to triage for an, what's it called, an EKG, because they literally thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't, they did. I said my chest hurts, and that, like, boom, in the triage, I found myself before I could even say much at all, um, and that was when they realized I was having my first panic attack, but they did think it was a heart attack at first because of the symptoms I was having, and the way I describe it, and panic attacks can mimic a heart attack, those symptoms. So you got to be careful, because you don't You want to take it seriously, but, um, so I have tons of physical and mental issues because of it. And also the loss of relationship with one of my children, which is, which is another thing that's partially my fault, but it's also partially a result of all of this abuse that I went through with my ex-husband. So, um, that is the dreadful night. And one more thing I wanted to share with you real quickly before I go today, um, God, I prayed. I'm a very visual person and for many years had a photographic memory. Now that I'm older, that I don't have that. It's not so much there anymore. It is occasionally, but nowhere near as much as it used to be. So I had a visual image of my ex-husband and that terrifying moment when he was strangling and suffocating me at the same time and trying to protect my boys, our children. But God, thankfully, after months of prayer, he took that away from me and I can't see it anymore. And I'm so grateful. So anyway, that is my story of that dreadful night. And um, although it was probably traumatic for you to hear, I hope it helps someone. Um, I don't want you to be going through that, but I hope it helps you identify or recognize if there are behaviors, behaviors or abuses that are being done to you that are unacceptable because This physical abuse, strangling, and things like that, that's a crime. Strangling is a crime, okay? And lastly, um, later when I spoke to my husband, he wasn't remorseful at all. In fact, he's still in denial to this day, like I mentioned earlier. But um, later when I spoke to him, because obviously dummy me got back together with him and tried to do counseling multiple times, which of course never worked. It worked for me, but it never worked for him because he just wasn't willing, I think. Um, but it it just didn't work because and regular counseling does not work for abuse. That just endangers the victim even more. Um, now I lost my train of thought. Oh, it was about what he said. He wasn't remorseful at all. And after the whole thing like had kind of passed over a little bit, He confessed to me and said, I was actually not thinking about you. I was thinking about if you had actually died, then I would have pled involuntary manslaughter. I researched it while I was in jail and I would have pledged I would have pled involuntary manslaughter. And I was like, What? You in jail, instead of thinking, oh my gosh, what did I just do to my wife? Is she okay? There was none of that, according to him going through his mind. It was all, how am I going to get out of this murder charge if I had died? Can you imagine? And so today, to this day, he doesn't believe me. When I started finally being able to confess the truth and saying my ex-husband tried to murder me, my ex-husband tried to kill me, again, he said I was exaggerating. I am not exaggerating. I'm sure that wasn't his intent, but he definitely tried to do it. I mean, I'm not even sure that wasn't his intent. Maybe it was. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but he actually did, you know? And see here, he did this all to me and all this to me, and I'm still trying to give him the benefit of the the doubt. I think that's just the way God made me. Like sometimes it drives me crazy that I'm like that because I can be so naive and I love people. And I'm very forgiving. But um, anyway, I'll tell you more about giving him multiple chances and going back to him and my brainwashing and why I went back to him even after he tried to kill me. And he did try to kill me. Police report is there. So I hope you're safe. Thank you for listening. Um, I love you. But remember, Jesus loves you more. Until next time.